0: Good morning, ladies. This past week, I read and studied the book of Ruth, just like you did. And as I did, I began to see more of the beauty in the way God tells the story of Ruth. Then, as the book as a whole became even clearer, I could see more of God's brilliance as he wrote this book and as He's told it through the entire Bible. You see, Ruth is a true historical account of three of God's people living in a godless culture. It does give us a close-up of the genealogy of Christ. And we learn more of God's faithfulness in accomplishing his plans as he graciously worked in and through the lives of three of his own. But this week, I hope to show you the genius of God's word as we look in Ruth in light of the whole of scripture. My prayer is that we would be in awe of God's ways and that it would ignite great joy in you as it has in me. Let's pray together. Lord, I praise you. I praise you that you are masterful that your brilliance and your majesty is seen in the way that you have told us the story of Ruth in the way that you have put the threads of the Redeemer throughout all Scripture. And I pray, Lord, as we discuss this today, that you will communicate this to your women, that you will communicate to them the truths of who you are. I thank you for preserving this word for us, Lord, so that we could understand you better. I give this time to you, Lord, and ask you to accomplish your will with it. In your name we pray, amen. Episode three. Don't you kind of feel like we're watching a, a show um, and we're left hanging at the end of every episode, so we want to know what happens next? Well, that's what a good storyteller does. They tell a story in such a way that we wanna know more. We become involved with the plot. We feel kind of intimate with the characters. We relate to what they might be feeling and we experience a tiny bit of empathy for their suffering, for their insecurities and fears, or for their dreams. This story that God wrote so beautifully was written that we might know the characters to see their weaknesses and their strengths, and to understand their suffering and their dreams. But this is far more than just any old story because the master storyteller is speaking to us. Episode 3 begins with Naomi speaking first to her daughter-in-law with an idea. Verses 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, that's Ruth, all that you say, I will do. Really? Naomi, um, this sounds a little scandalous or at the very least risky. I'm uncomfortable just listening to the sound of this advice and this scheme. But Ruth who probably was not raised with righteous principles, may not have even realized the risk involved. Or perhaps she was entrusting herself into the hands of Yahweh, under whose wings she had found refuge. Regardless, she obeyed her mother-in-law. She cleaned up, put on her best clothes, headed to the threshing floor, and hid out till she knew where Boaz was going to sleep. Then she lay down, climbed under the covering of his feet, and lay there, just waiting for the right moment. Let's see what happens in verses 8 and 9. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said to her, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Boaz is awaited at midnight and discovers Ruth there and they have a very intimate conversation. But instead of letting Boaz tell her what to do, as Naomi suggested, Ruth went right to the point. She let him know she was interested in him marrying her, reminding him that he was a redeemer. This was a bold move. It put her future at risk. Boaz's response would change the course of their relationship one way or the other. Verses 10 through 13. Let's read those together. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz was not troubled at Ruth's statement. Whew, that's a relief. Instead, he spoke a blessing over her. His words assured her that he was honored by her request, aware that she could have gone after a younger man. He put any fear to rest by letting her know that he felt she was a worthy woman, no longer that Moabitess. Perhaps he also realized that she was making choices based upon Jewish law, which would provide for Naomi as well. This was consistent with her character. She had lived in such a way as to honor and care for her mother-in-law, and that reputation had been noticed by the entire city. Some commentators have said that perhaps several men, maybe, maybe even Boaz's reapers, had proposed to Ruth, and she had turned them down. This might be why Boaz speaks about Ruth's kind choice not to go after younger men, whether rich or poor. In addition, remember that Ruth did not go back to Moab where she certainly would have found plenty of suitors. Other commentators speculate that Boaz had already checked around and knew there was another redeemer. Perhaps he was waiting for the other man to take action. Apparently, Boaz already knew that a piece of property was involved in the whole transaction, a property that would need to be redeemed, purchased. We can see this in the early conversation of chapter 4, which we'll look at next week. He also knew of the nearer redeemer. So the thought of marrying Ruth must have crossed his mind. In any case, Boaz assured her that he would take care of her redemption At his advice, she lay there until morning. This scene in the middle of the night could have been tainted by poor choices if Boaz or Ruth had chosen to act upon passion, emotion, or convenience. But these two believers, true followers of Yahweh, made choices that would honor God. What could have been a steamy episode concludes with righteous action. Boaz sent her home to Naomi with a lot of barley, Naomi was probably at home, pacing the floor, concerned how things went. And when Ruth got there, she gave her the rundown. Chapter three ends with Naomi speaking. We will need to wait and see how the matter turns out. Stay tuned for next week's episode. It's a great story, isn't it? Because it was written and told by the perfect storyteller. It's a true story, but the methods he uses to tell them are so beautifully written. Did you notice even in the storytelling itself, the beauty? There are parallels with each chapter. Chapter one begins with Naomi and her family moving to Moab during a time of famine. The last verse of the chapter ends with Naomi and Ruth, her only remaining family, moving back to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, chapter two begins with Ruth asking Naomi 's permission to go and glean in the field of anyone with whom she might find favor. The last verse of chapter two tells us that Ruth had found favor with Boaz and gleaned there until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. Chapter three this week begins with Naomi speaking to Ruth saying, "My daughter should I not?" Seek rest for you? And did you notice how the chapter ends? Naomi is again speaking to Ruth in the last verse saying, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter it turns out. For the man will not rest until he settles the matter today. Chapter four has parallels as well. So look for that as you study next week. Isn't God's word written so beautifully? But not only that, I was struck with the use of the word behold. We see the word behold used often in the Christmas story through all the scenes. As if to highlight that God is doing something. Take a look, notice, pay attention. And the same thing seems to be here true. Chapter 2, verse 4, Ruth just happened to be gleaning in Boaz's field. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. God is up to something. This chapter, chapter three, that we studied this week has a behold in it as well in verse eight. Ruth has followed Naomi's command, has laid down at Boaz's feet while he's unaware. But behold, Boaz rolled over to find a woman at his feet because God is up to something. Chapter 4 also has a behold in it. I'm going to let you look for it next week. So look for that. Such a lovely way the Lord uses to tell us a story. Even the fact that we are not told who the narrator of Ruth is adds a certain dimension to the beauty of the story itself. It leaves us a realization that God is the one telling us this story. But this week I was overwhelmed at the brilliance of God. How he took a short story and weaves its theme throughout the rest of Scripture. The theme of the Redeemer. In your homework, homework, we looked at several passages which defined the responsibility of the kinsman Redeemer, the Goel we saw that he had five responsibilities. One, if, he, if a person became so poor that he could not pay his debts, he could sell himself to another. And his goel, his redeemer, could and should redeem him, freeing that enslaved one. Secondly, a kinsman redeemer was responsible to marry his brother's widow or the closest relative was to marry the widow. In this way, the family lineage would carry on, providing a family and heirs. Thirdly, if a man was murdered, the goel would be the blood avenger, the eye for an eye, avenging the death. Fourthly, the goel was to make restitution in full plus the fifth to the one who had been wronged. Or if there was no one left to receive the restitution, it would go to the Lord. This was restitution for debts that could not be paid. And fifth, if a man became so poor, he had to sell his property. The redeemer, the kinsman redeemer was to buy it back to protect that land, a land reserved for God's people. Now this is such a foreign concept to us. I I think when we first read it, we don't get it at all. We think, this is weird. But the children of Israel understood it perfectly. It was part of their culture. But this is the brilliance of God. He knew that 2,000 years later, we would need some clarity in our culture. So he gave us the book of Ruth to show us what a kinsman redeemer looks like. What, how they act what their character is like, and what a gift. Because God wove this idea of redemption through all the rest of Scripture. He did not want us to miss it. Obviously, in Ruth, Boaz is a redeemer, a goel. But I had you look up some cross-references, which spoke of the Lord being our redeemer, I hope you did that. But we're going to look at just three that we hear echoed in our lesson. You looked at Psalm 69, 18, and it should be in your notes on your lesson. It says this, a part, the first part, part A. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Now, who did we hear in today's sto- uh, chapter in the part of our episode we saw today, who echoed that sentiment in the book of Ruth? An appeal to redeem her. Of course, it's Ruth to Boaz in verse 9 of chapter 3. She implied that statement by appealing to him, reminding him he was the redeemer, letting him know that she wanted him to do that for her. Another verse I gave you to look up was Isaiah 43, 1. I think it was your third cross-reference. And it said this, But now, this is what the Lord your Creator says, O Jacob, and, and he who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Does that sound familiar from this week's passage? Don't you hear echoes of that? It was Boaz in verse 13, he told Ruth not to fear that he would redeem her, that he would make sure it happened. And this is what our true Redeemer says to us as well. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you. You are mine. Oh, don't you love that? And then Isaiah 63, 16 had this. It was one of the, pas- the scriptures you were to look up. You, O Lord, are still our Father, our Redeemer. From everlasting is your name. Now, this, where did we hear that echoed? In verse 12, there's kind of a little nugget, a little gem where Boaz says, Oh, there's a redeemer nearer than I. Now, in the immediate literal sense, Boaz is speaking of a literal man who is a closer relative. But in the truest sense, we can faintly hear that echo of the truth that there is one true Redeemer who is nearer than all, our true Goel who is from everlasting, our Father, the Lord God. So can you hear it? The echoes of that truth that we saw on Ruth? Isn't that the brilliance of God to put it there? But even more awesome, our true Goel fulfills all those responsibilities that the law required. Just like the goel we see in Boaz, he, Christ, has redeemed us from being enslaved, not to debt, but to sin. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 say this, and I wrote them all down, but you might wanna look these up later. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Not as he just redeemed us from being enslaved, he's made us his bride. Isaiah 54:5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. Hear that? The Goel, the Redeemer. But he also is our blood avenger, giving his own blood to redeem us. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The perfect Goel has redeemed us from slavery, has made us his bride. He is our blood avenger but he also makes restitutions for debts we could never pay. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our debts, according to the riches of his grace. Whew, isn't this awesome, the way God wrote it? Titus 2.14 says, waiting, this was in your, your cross reference you looked up this week, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we see Christ fulfilling these things, but there's a fifth thing that our true Goel does, our true Redeemer. He preserves for us a permanent place, a permanent home. Remember back in the beginning when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden? They enjoyed face-to-face relationship with God. But because of their sin, they lost Eden. They lost that perfect place when they would know true fellowship with God. That place was lost because of sin. But Revelation 2 21, 1 through 3, Revelation 21, 1 through 3 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as for a bride adorned for her husband. A bride. And I heard a loud voice from the throne crying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. All these responsibilities, all these jobs of the Goel, Christ has perfectly fulfilled. In the future when he returns for his people in the new heavens and the new earth, we will bow before the throne of God in that permanent place, our eternal home, where we will know true face-to-face fellowship with God. Revelation 5 tells us that there will be this scene in heaven, almost a ceremony, if you will, where an angel will ask First of all I must say that God will be sitting on his throne and it says that there is a book on his right hand and an angel will ask Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals It's sealed up And the 24 elders and living creatures will sing Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals For thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And in that day, we, his bride, will worship the one who is truly worthy, the one who has redeemed us from slavery to sin, avenged us by his own blood, paying the debts we could never pay in our permanent home, Where we will have perfect fellowship with Him, and along with Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth, the Moabitess, we foreigners, along with people from all nations and tribes and tongues, will also worship the true Goel, our one true Redeemer. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are brilliant. And your word, how none could write it like you did, Lord. None could tell us redemption and explain it to us in such a beautiful way and then weave it through the rest of your words to us. We are grateful for what you have done, Lord. May we be awed again by what you have done and who you are. Thank you for redeeming us. And thank you for giving us this beautiful picture in Ruth. May we forever worship you, Lord, and honor you as our true redeemer. We praise you for what you have done. In your name we pray, amen.